0: Well, this morning we enter into the second week of our stewardship series, Greenfield at the Movies. And in case you weren't here last week, we began with the Disney classic, The Lion King, uh, a film for children of all ages, I might add. We followed Simba the Cub, who, of course, was destined to be the king uh, until the trickery of his Satan-like uncle, Scar. who who convinces him that he he needs to run away from who he really is. And so he flees to the land of Hakuna Matata, only later uh, to be reconverted by the great prophet-priest Rafiki. And like the prodigal son, you remember, he comes to himself and he returns uh, to the pride land to take his rightful place. Stewardship begins by remembering who you really are and then using your God-given talents and energy and money to be part of the answer rather than part of the problem. This morning we turn our attention to one of the great Christmas classics. I always wind up tearing up at least once when I watch this movie. Um, You know, the great Rabbi Abraham Heschel uh, once said, humankind will not perish for a lack of information, that's especially true in our high-tech society, we will not perish because of a lack of information, but because of a lack of appreciation. It was a wise man who said, I've had a wonderful life. I'm just sorry that it took so long for me to realize that. Stewardship is grounded in a sense of gratitude. The spiritual journey always begins with thanksgiving. And so as a way of entering intentionally into an act of appreciation, I want us to reconnect this morning with Frank Kappa's 1940s classic, It's a Wonderful Life. I would be surprised if there's anyone here who is not familiar, but just by way of reminder, um, the film focuses on a character by the name of George Bailey for several decades before George was born his family had engaged in a business called the Bailey Building and Loan. It was a little business whose whole mission was to get people into their first home. Um, They were much more interested in empowering people than they were in getting rich themselves. However, in this endeavor they were always in competition with a much larger bank in the community. It was owned by a Scrooge-like character by the name of Henry Potter, Mr. Potter. His only concern was to acquire and to possess. And um, he had no interest whatsoever in sort of passing life on. Some of you have heard me say before that for my money, there are really only two kinds of people in the world. There are those who want to make the world a better place for everyone, And there and there are those who just want to make the world a better place for themselves. And Henry Potter was in the latter case, and the Baileys were in the former. And young George, having grown up in this family stream, quickly picks up the qualities of his family. So when he was all of 12 years old, it was wintertime, his younger brother was out sledding on a frozen lake when the ice broke and he fell through, and without Having any concern for his own safety, young George dived in and was able to save his little brother, though losing the hearing, you remember, in his left ear. When he was a teenager, he was working for an old druggist in town, and that old man received a telegram one day saying that his only son had died of influenza. He was crazed with grief. And in those few days following, he made what could have been a fatal mistake in um, wrongly filling a prescription. It was young George who was attentive and caring enough to catch the mistake. George had always wanted to go to college and make a name for himself in a place bigger than Bedford Falls, where he had grown up. But uh, just as he was getting ready to go to school, His father suffered a stroke and died. And Henry Potter tried to use that occasion to swallow up the little building and loan and put it out of existence. And so people begged young George to put off college to stay behind and save the family business, which is precisely what he did. For the next decades, he poured his life into that community, helping one person after another to get a home of their own. He developed a whole community of low-cost housing. When World War II came, because of his ear, of course, he wasn't able to serve in the military, so he poured himself instead into all of the civilian activities which were also so important to the war effort. And after the war, he married. He had a family of his own. But then one day, an inept uncle of his who spent a little much too much time with a bottle and so was not always at his best, that uncle accidentally misplaced a large sum of money that made all the difference between solvency and bankruptcy for that little company. Faced with bankruptcy, George had to go to Mr. Potter, who refused to help, in fact, He even accuses George of misappropriating the money. He goes to the police and has a warrant sworn out for his arrest. Well, it seemed like his whole life uh, was crashing in. Everything seemed like a failure. And so one Christmas Eve, George goes to the local pub and he overdoes it. From there, he goes to a bridge over the stream that flows through the town. And he is about to jump when suddenly his guardian angel, you remember Clarence, shows up. And being a heavenly creature, he knows the heart of George Bailey. And so he jumps into the cold river before George, knowing that George is going to do instinctively what he had done for his brother years before. And sure enough, George forgets his own troubles. He jumps in and saves Clarence. And so we pick up the story today as they are in the little shed after that. And here is Clarence and George.
1: I didn't have time to get some stylish... Underwear. Wife gave me this on my last birthday. <laughs> I passed away in it. <laughs> oh, Tom Sawyer's drying out too. You should read the new book Mark Twain's writing now. How did you happen to fall in? I didn't fall in. I jumped in to save George. You what? You're, to save me. Well, I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Through with what? Suicide. Oh, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from too. Oh. Where do you come from? Heaven. I had to act quickly. That's why I jumped in. I knew if I were drowning, you'd try to save me. You see, you did, and that's how I saved you. Uh, uh, very funny. Your lips bleeding, George. Yeah. I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer a little bit ago. Oh, no, 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 George. I'm the answer to your prayer. That's why I was sent down here. How'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. I've watched you grow up from a little boy. What are you, mind reader or something? <laughs> well, who are you, then? Clarence Oddbody, AS2. Oddbody. AS2. What, what, what's that AS2? Angel, second class. Cheerio, my good man. Oh, brother. Where's that? I wonder what Martini put in those drinks. Hey, what's? With you what would what, you say just a minute ago why would you want to save me that's what i was sent down for i'm your guardian angel i wouldn't be a bit surprised ridiculous of you to think of killing yourself for money eight thousand dollars yeah now think just things like that now, how do you know that i told you i'm your guardian angel i know everything about you well you look about like the kind of an angel i'd get sort of a fallen <laughs> angel aren't you What happened to your wings? I haven't won my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel second class. Uh, I don't know whether I like it very much being seen around with an angel without any wings. Oh, I've got to earn them. And you'll help me, won't you? Sure, sure. How? By letting me help you. I mean, one way you can help me. You, you don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you. Oh, you? no, no. We don't use money in heaven. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right. I keep forgetting. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. Oh, <laughs> uh, I found it out a little late. I'm worth more dead than a lie. Now, look, you mustn't talk like that. I won't get my wings with that attitude. You just don't know all that you've done. If it hadn't been for you, yeah. If it hadn't been for me, everybody'd be a lot better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. Look, little fellow, why you go off and haunt somebody else? No, you? now you don't understand. I've got my job. Oh, no, shut up, will you?
0: You've come too late," says Clarence. "Says George, my life is a total and complete failure. In fact," he says. It would have been better if I'd never been born. Better for me, better for everybody. That's not true, says Clarence. Um, It's not true. I'm going to take you back. I'm going to turn the clock back, and I'm going to let you see what this community would have been like if you had never been born. And so suddenly they're in 1919, and George sees a tombstone with his brother's name his birth and his death date, and George realizes that that's what would have happened to his brother had he never been born. He's taken to a place where he sees the old druggist coming back from 20 years in the penitentiary where he served a sentence for giving out a mistaken prescription. He takes George to the place where that wonderful low-cost housing community exists, But it's nothing but a field and a few renter shacks in the background. And then he takes him through the town that he knows so well. But it's not called Bedford Falls anymore. It's called Pottersville, because it's been taken over by Mr. Potter. And it is nothing but a community of exploitation. And it's at that juncture that Clarence says, don't you see, George? It's been a wonderful life your life has made a difference by what you have done and what you have stood for. And suddenly seeing that new perspective snaps George out of his depression. He has a renewed sense of wonder at his own aliveness. And you see, I think that the reason this film continues to have so much of an influence decades later is because it poses an interesting question for each of us and all of us. How would this world be different if you had never been born? How will this world be different because you are in it? How would your life be different if Greenfield had never been born? What if that small group of dreamers decades ago had not met together over at the Angels School? and launched a future for us. Or if 30 years ago, some of those same beginning people, a little more tread-worn, hadn't decided to sell those three plots of land to the north and invest themselves wholeheartedly in the future. Well, let me just speak from a personal perspective. Had there been no Greenfield, 30 years ago, I would have left Michigan. Not only would I never have met any of you, I wouldn't have met my wife or her four-year-old daughter, Molly. Mariah would never have been born. My whole understanding of the church, I suspect, might be different. I had heard that all it takes for a vital ministry is for a small group of very dedicated people to feel passionately about that ministry. I had heard that. But this is where I learned it. I have seen what a difference people can make in a community and I have seen what a difference making a difference has made in those people's lives and I learned that here. How might your life be different if you had never met some of these people at a women's retreat or out at Howell or at a hands-on mission project or at an adult mission program I can tell you the lives of about 275 homeless people would be very different if there wasn't a Greenfield bus picking them up every morning at six o'clock in the morning and driving them from a night shelter to a day center where they got meals and showers and laundry facilities and access to a social worker. Their lives would be different. I can tell you about a whole bunch of high school students some of whom I was calling on this week in colleges, whose lives would be different had they never gone on a stage mission trip. I was calling uh, at MSU this week and I was talking to Shannon Schaefer, and she was reminding me that when Maria Hearn arrived at State, that she helped to show her around. You know where they met? Not only did they get to know each other better on those trips, they got to know themselves better. They got to know something about what it means to serve. Those mission trips have been an important step on the way to some much bigger things in their lives. What a difference for so many families to know that everyone is welcome here. How many LGBT families, how many gay men and women have been moved towards healing the gap between their spirituality and their sexuality because here was a church that was willing to step up and say, not only is everyone welcome here, but everyone is needed here, and you can be married here. What a difference to a whole growing number of families who are meeting together here on Wednesday evenings. Not only do they not have to cook on Wednesday evenings, but their kids are actually learning some Bible stories, and we're gathering around this communion table, and their kids are learning about that. What a difference to a whole bunch of families downriver who every Christmas have a better Christmas because of the gifts that we bring under the giving tree. Or how about the better Thanksgiving that a number of families right here in this community will have because of the food baskets that you will bring next Sunday. I think of all the visits, all the calls that just the deacons make alone, the prayer shawls that I see by someone's ear on the pillow when I go to see them in the hospital. I think of all the cards sent. Juliette Hafford said to me the other day, I didn't even know it was Barb and my anniversary until Dottie Pachanian's card arrived in the mail. <laughs> I walked through our lower level, formerly referred to as the basement, <laughs> till we upgraded. And everybody comments on it. It's beautiful. You know when I like it best? I like it on Wednesdays when I watch those families gather around those round tables for dinner with some of our folks feeding them. I like it when a whole group of greenfielders are busy serving food in that space and taking care of a grieving family right after a memorial service. I have a picture in my head right now of what it'll be like two weeks from now uh, on the 24th, when in the afternoon, families from Greenfield and Cana and Drayton will all gather to put together 10,000 meals for kids in third world countries. I love it that there are actually rods, some of you don't even know this, there are rods that are very tastefully put up on the Christian ed side of, the, of that space so that several months from now we can have curtains that hang so we can host 30 homeless people in that space. I can't wait for the mission fair that will benefit a whole lot of local communities in that space. And the day and that same weekend, Santa and Mrs. Claus, who will visit for the stage Cookies and Cocoa with Santa event. I love the fact that seniors eat around those round tables, these very unhealthy cookies, The same tables that 4- and 5-year-olds have been making intricate projects for during vacation Bible school. I love it. Marion's family gathers in that space for her 90th birthday party. And then the Cosgro daggy family gathers for a baby shower and miraculously it's a boy. And the butkas are there yesterday, and the, the, the butters are going to be there with their whole international group in a few weeks. Really, I could go on and on. Look, um, this is a very significant life in the history of Greenfield Church this year. These next 18 months, what's going to happen or not happen is as significant as anything that I just mentioned. I said last week it would be ever so tempting to pull back and develop the wait-and-see attitude. Let's just see how it goes. Two things I would suggest to you if you're tempted in that direction. First of all, take a good look at every mainline church in this area and ask you, how did that attitude work for them? The answer is as clear as the nose on your face. And secondly, ask yourself, What if the people who preceded us here had had that kind of attitude? Would you and I be sitting here today? Of course not. Now more than ever is the time to invest yourself in the future of this congregation. Your time, your energy and your money. It begins now. It begins with your commitments this coming week. And then just being here and signing up for one of those committees and supporting one another, and making sure that the next phase of this journey is just as successful as the last phase. So you remember how the movie ends, right? George realizes what a wonderful life he has. It snaps him out of his depression, and he goes home. And that scene is exactly what this stewardship committee is hoping this place will look like tomorrow. So here it is.
1: Everybody, George Berry did it. She told yeah. some people you were in trouble with it. They scattered all over right. town collecting money. Didn't ask any questions. Just said, <laughs> George in trouble. And tell me, you idiot. What is right? uh, like uh, it? Like <laughs> we are George Berry Christmas. <laughs> I don't don't cry. Don't push. There we are. Fine, fine, fine. Fine. Come in, John. <laughs> now, uh, don't <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have a roof over my head if it wasn't for you, George. Just a minute. Just a minute. Quiet, quiet everybody. Quiet, quiet. Now, get this. It's from London. Oh. Mr. Gower Cable, you need cash. Stop. My office instructed to advance you up to $25,000. Stop. Oh. Hee-haw and Merry Christmas, Sam Wainwright. Oh. telegram good idea Ernie a toast to my big brother George the richest man in town Ah!
0: did you find yourself in that crowd it's a wonderful life let's make sure it continues amen